to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. And the series is called Living the Lord's Prayer. And I've mentioned this every week. Why are we saying living the Lord's Prayer rather than just praying the Lord's Prayer? And that is if we really believe in what we're praying, we should be willing to live it. We should be willing to uh, anything we pray, whether it's Lord's Prayer or any other prayer, we should be willing to be part of the solution or the answer for whatever we're praying for. And each week I try to come up with a different example. I thought of this one because it kind of goes along with the theme. Have you ever been in a situation where someone in authority or someone who had the ability or responsibility to do so told you about this thing and you could do whatever you wanted to do, whether it was a boss, your spouse, or whatever, an event, some project that needed to be done, something, and you were excited about it, and they said, listen, you just do it however you want to do it, do whatever you want to with it, just do it. You know, whatever you want, it's just do it. And as soon as you got started, began to make some decisions, began to do some things, they immediately jumped in, got involved, said, that's not right. They overrode what you did. They told you how to do it different than you wanted to do it. You know, don't point at anybody. But have you ever had a situation like that where you were supposed to be able to do whatever you wanted to do and the person who told you that ended up telling you exactly what to do and you just did what they wanted to do? You ever had that happen? Some people, yes. Maybe some. If no, thank the Lord for that, right? But it made me think of what we're talking about praying tonight. God, your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. How often might we pray that, but then we just go and do our own thing? God, do whatever you want to do. But I'm not going to do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> you know, Do whatever you do. Establish your kingdom. And, and we end up working contrary to God's kingdom being established in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our world. And we don't want to do that. And so that's what we're talking about, living the Lord's Prayer, not just praying the Lord's Prayer. So tonight we are focusing on that phrase, your kingdom come which is modified along with your will be done by on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So let's read the entire prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and right in the middle of it, he talks about prayer, and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've covered everything up to where we are tonight with your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If you missed any of those, you can listen to them Online. So we're going to talk about this phrase, and we're going to answer our four questions. Um, and again, this is a big topic. The entire story of the Bible is all about God's kingdom and how it is or should be and how it will be manifested on the earth. So there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. And I've got my answers as usual because I'm the one that prepared the lesson. 
But if you've been meditating on it, you've probably got a lot of things you could say totally different than mine, and yours are right, and mine are right, and we're just going to do the best we can. All right? But before we jump into those four questions, there's some terms that we need to understand. The first one is kingdom. What is a kingdom? How would you define the word kingdom? Anybody? I always find it funny when I ask this question, everybody looks at their note sheet trying to fill in the blanks that I have on my note sheet. How would you define kingdom? Bruce? An area that you take care of or you're responsible for. Yeah, it definitely has that idea. According to the dictionary, the, a kingdom is a place where someone or something reigns. Okay? A place where someone or something reigns. At first I was thinking, why does it have something in there? And then it gave an example. It's like a cattle kingdom. Well, a cattle, a cattle is not someone. It's something. But they kind of reign because they're the big deal or whatever. But anyway, um, we often think of it as a person. A kingdom is a place where someone or something reigns. But that means we've got to define reign. What does it mean to reign? To rule. There you go. That's a synonym, right? On your note sheet, the definition I have here is to exercise power, authority, and influence. To exercise power, authority, and influence. And that certainly does describe what it means to rule. All right? And so in light of the fact that the kingdom is a place where someone or something reigns, and to reign means to exercise power, authority, and influence, what do we mean when we talk about God's kingdom? So I'm going to ask you, what is God's kingdom? What does that mean? we got lots of people answering. Okay. Carlton, I think you were allowed us, so we'll let you go ahead. Where God demonstrates his power, authority, and glory. Um, isn't that everywhere? True. True. Then why are things such a mess? Is he not a very good king? Okay, don't, don't, don't answer that. I'm just, I was just being the devil's advocate. That's what we're going to jump into here because we do believe that God is. I mean, God's God, right? And God's kingdom is where he manifests. You know, on your note sheet, I have it this way. Any place where God exercises power, authority, and influence is God's kingdom. But it says any place, shouldn't it be every place? If God is God, shouldn't that be so? And we'd say yes. Well, then why are things such a mess? And we're going to dig into that, especially as we get into some of the answers to the first question. So the first question that we've been dealing with every week is what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? So the idea of the kingdom of God. And we're praying, God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does the Bible teach about the kingdom of God? Now, we can't take all the time in the world. We could do a study for a couple weeks just on what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God. So what are the major thoughts, in your mind anyway, or the major principles, or the major ideas that the Bible makes plain and clear about the kingdom of God? Anybody got any thoughts? Chris? Kingdom of God is forever. Yes, okay. Anybody else? I didn't mean to overwhelm you with saying we got to go through this quick. You can't answer. What does the Bible say about God's kingdom? It cannot be broken. Okay. Lynn? The kingdom of God can be within us because God can reign in us. So it's not just a physical thing, which is a good thing because that's at the root of a lot of things we're going to talk about tonight, that God's kingdom is not just physical, but it is spiritual. Yeah. Yes, Carlton. 
has no beginning and no ending. All right? What else do we know about or what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? Yes, Amanda. It's a place of peace. Yes, and peace is one word. Let's dwell on that for just What are some other words that, that from the word of God we know characterize the kingdom of God? Peace, what else? Love, joy. In fact, Paul says the kingdom of God is peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What else characterizes the kingdom of God? Holiness. Holiness. Chris? A great place to live. <laughs> in my father's house are many mansions. How about Righteousness. Everything that is right and good. What is excluded from the kingdom of God? Sin. Evil. Sickness. Death. Sorrow. I mean, doesn't it make you just want to go? You know, we all want to go to heaven. We just don't want to go tonight, right? (laughs) All right. But if this is what God's kingdom is supposed to be, and he's the ultimate king, he's got all power, authority, and influence, why is it not happening? Well, let's take a look at these truths. Again, we could spend all night long just on this one question, but let me give you the ones that I wrote down. There are other truths about God's kingdom in his word, but I wanted to give you an overview because it lays the foundation um, for how we should pray and live the Lord's, uh, the Lord's um, prayer. Okay, Letter A there is God is sovereign. In fact, a king is often called a sovereign, right? The word sovereign means supreme in power, rank, or authority. I like to put it this way, very simply. God being sovereign means he can do whatever he wants to do. Now, he will never do something that's contrary to his character. Okay? But God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. He is supreme. Supreme, in the sense, is number one. Okay? Supreme in power, rank, or authority. There are tons of scriptures for every one of these points, but I only gave one or two. Because, again, we could take forever. But I took this one here, Psalm 115.3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. (laughs) I like that. God's up there ruling and reigning. He can do whatever he wants. So ultimately, God is the king of the universe. He's the king of this world and especially of his people. But God gave some power and authority to somebody else. Who did he give it to? Us, to mankind. See, there's where we begin to get a clue as to why things are such a mess. All right? Um, we won't take any testimonies about times that you gave power and, in, and, and authority or permission to somebody and they just messed it all up. And uh, we could maybe give testimonies, but we could also probably give testimonies that times that we were given authority and responsibility and we messed it all up, right? But right at the very, very beginning, God gave power and authority to mankind under his leadership, under his rulership, okay? Um, back in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, So how and when did mankind mess it up so bad? Oh, Bruce says it's all because of the women. Woman. Right? At the fall, not the current women, right? Is that what you're saying? Trying to get yourself off the hook? Yeah. You know, of course, Paul says that Eve was deceived, but Adam walked straight into it. (laughs) Both eyes wide open. And he was there, you know. You know, it says that after Eve was deceived, she just turned to Adam and said, have some. You know, 
And he said, okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, letter C, through sin, man surrendered power and authority to Satan. Now, this is a deep subject. We're not going to go any deeper other than the fact that because of sin, mankind choosing to do their own thing instead of God's thing at the um, temptation, deception of Satan, it ended up turning over power and authority to him to some degree. It doesn't mean now that Satan is God and that Satan can override God. That is not true. But he does have power and authority. Just a couple of, uh, of scriptures to give you this thought. It's a totally different subject you can dig, dig deeper into later. But in John twelve thirty one and in fourteen thirty, Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. So he does have, to some degree, and you look around you, a lot of degree, power and authority and influence in this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul calls, calls Satan the god of this world. And not just in the sense of one of many gods, that there are many gods, quote, that people would worship, but the number one. He says that as that position, he blinds the eyes of unbelievers, and he's got power and authority. All right. But the good news is letter D, Jesus paid the price for redemption from sin and Satan's power. See, it got all messed up because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. But God immediately set a plan into place. We'll talk more about that in just a minute to fix it. Okay. But ultimately, it happened because of Jesus, God himself coming to the earth in the flesh to give his life upon the cross. So Jesus paid the price for redemption from sin and Satan's power. Again, there's tons of scriptures for each of these, but I chose Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Trespass is fancy word for sin. By canceling the record of debt, not just our current sin, but all the sin, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So at the cross, Jesus paid the price for our redemption, for our forgiveness. At the same time, he defeated Satan. But that raises another question. If Jesus defeated Satan at the cross so his kingdom could be reestablished, why is the world still such a mess. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But letter E, God's kingdom, rule, reign, influence, is being established now spiritually. Okay? There is no place on earth that we can say that's God's kingdom. We know where the United Kingdom is, right? Um, I'm not really familiar with how many other or which other countries in the world actually use the title kingdom, but... Whatever nations use the title kingdom, we know where that kingdom is. We can find it on the map, but we cannot do that for the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is here, spiritually. And it's growing, and it's developing, and it's exerting more and more influence. And we're going to talk some more about that under the second question, okay? But letter F, God's kingdom will be fully established at the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes back, his kingdom will not only exist spiritually, but it will actually exist physically here on the earth. All right? And this is the story of the Bible. Ever since the fall, God began the plan that he already had thought out, him and Jesus. They'd planned it before the foundation of the world, of putting things back in order. And one of the first steps was choosing Abraham to be the father of this family that was going to become a special nation that God was going to work through. 
And then a little bit further down the line, you know, after Moses and the deliverance from Egypt, you know, had um, an earthly king. You know, God is king of kings, but an earthly king. And David was that one that was the man after God's own heart. And God made him a promise because of the way you've responded to me, in spite of all your failures and your problems and your sins, your descendants are going to be the kings. And, and that was also a prophecy of the ultimate king that would come that would end up being Jesus, right? All the way down, and, and, and as you follow that story all through the prophets, the king's going to come, you know, and, and, and the idea of the Messiah, which means the anointed king, he's the one that's going to come. He's going to set God's kingdom back up. We messed it all up, all the way back there with Adam and Eve, and we've made it worse all along the way. We've had some bright spots, King David, except for when he was messing up, you know, and other kings or whatever, but we kept messing up, but there's going to be an ultimate king from the line of David, from the, from, from the family of Abraham, this one who became known as the Messiah, and they were looking for the Messiah to establish God's kingdom. And Jesus came and did it, but not the way they thought, because they thought he was going to establish the physical kingdom, boom, right away. That's why a lot of them chose not to recognize him as that kingdom. But the prophets talked a lot about the age to come, the age to come, talking about when God's kingdom finally breaks forth, when God finally establishes his kingdom. He puts a descendant of David on the throne. You know, Israel's going to be the nation. All the other nations are going to believe in God. They're going to stream to Jerusalem to worship God. It's all prophesied in the prophets. Um, I, I read this in one of my commentaries, and I forgot to note which one. But it says that according to this idea that God promoted through his prophets, that his kingdom was a place where there would be an experience of blessedness, where evil is fully overcome, and where those who live in the kingdom know only happiness, peace, and joy. Okay? Now, that was God's plan, and he did it and will do it through the coming of the Messiah. It's just the Messiah's coming twice. (laughs) The first time he came to take care of the sin problem... The second time, he's going to establish God's kingdom physically and permanently on earth. Why is he waiting? Why did he wait so long? And he's still waiting to do that. Why is he waiting to establish the fullness of his kingdom on earth? Michelle. He's waiting because he wants more people to respond to the offer of salvation. Did you have something to add to that, Carlton? Exactly. That's the scripture I have on your note sheet, 2 Peter 3, 9. Anytime somebody talks to you about, well, they've been saying Jesus is going to come back for 2,000 years. He's not done everything. The answer is right there in scripture. Okay, And the whole passage around it even says that. People say, where's he at? Everything still continues the same way it did. But that one verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that answers the question. If Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, why are things still such a mess? Because he didn't put an end to it there. I mean, he did, literally, but he didn't shut it all down because to do that, he'd have to shut everything down. It's the end. We're getting rid of all sin, so anybody that's got sin in their life, they're gone. Judgment, over. We wouldn't even be around if he did that 100 years after he died. So why did he wait? He waited for us. He waited for me. He waited for you. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if God had shut it down 70 years ago, I wouldn't have been born. You know, um, whatever date you pick. You know, if you pick a date that he, God could have shut it down and set up his kingdom before you got saved, you'd have been lost. But that doesn't mean he's going to wait forever. The teaching of scripture is that there will come a day that God will say, enough's enough. We're done. 
Okay, but he's waiting. He's waiting. Letter G is the last one I have on here as we talk about what the Bible teaches about God's kingdom. I've been deliberately kind of avoiding Jesus a little bit because we're going to talk about the next question. But letter G, believers will reign with God in his kingdom. In other words, he gave that authority and responsibility to Adam and Eve. They blew it, but he's going to give it back. We're going to have the privilege of ruling and reigning with him. And again, there's a number of scriptures, but I chose 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. You know, sometimes people get the wrong idea about heaven that's based on some kind of cultural perception or old stories that have been handed down that are not biblical at all, that we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be just a spiritual place. We'll all be disembodied, sitting around on clouds, strumming harps, or standing um, exhaustedly in the presence of God, worshiping him forever, which would not happen anyway. The presence of God forever would be wonderful. But the Bible makes it very clear we're still going to have physical bodies, glorified physical bodies. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. There's going to be things going on. We're going to have responsibilities. We will worship God forever and ever, and it will be a joy. But God's going to have a lot of stuff for us to do. You know, when God first created work and responsibility, it was a joy. It wasn't a drudgery. It wasn't a drudgery until after the fall. And so he's going to put that back together. And uh, he's like, what is God going to have me do? I, I don't know. But it's going to be a joy. It's going to be a joy. And so believers will reign with God in his kingdom. So that is an overview of some of the basic fundamental principles about God's kingdom in the Bible. So let's move on to the second question now. How are these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? And as we look at Jesus coming to earth, God coming to earth, we already talked about it a little bit. He came, you know, to die on the cross so our sins can be forgiven, break the power of Satan, and all that kind of stuff. But, but what do we see in the Gospels particularly, okay, and in the teachings of Paul about Jesus and his role in the coming of God's kingdom and, uh, you know, anything to do with the kingdom? What, what do we see in Jesus' life, his ministry, his teachings, who he is that has to do with the kingdom of God. And again, this is a deep and wide subject. There's lots of stuff there. But what do you think of um, with Jesus and the kingdom of God? Anybody thoughts? Chris? That's right. When Jesus was standing before Pilate at his trial and they were talking about his kingdom, um, he says, are you really a king? And Jesus basically said, well, yeah, but my kingdom's not of this world. It will be one day, but at that time it was not. He was talking about the spiritual kingdom. Okay, so two truths there. You, did, you just stated one that was kind of assumed that Jesus is a king, right? Jesus is the king, right? What else about Jesus and the kingdom of God? Yes, Laurie. So he came to establish his kingdom. He came to establish his kingdom. All right. He came back to take it back, you know, to defeat the enemy that had infiltrated with the cooperation of the citizens. <laughs> if you want to go ahead and, and continue that, um, that picture. Yeah. Yeah, he came to get us. He came to set us free. You know, humankind gave over the rule and authority and became captives. And instead of writing us off, Jesus said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reestablish my kingdom. I'm going to break that power. And then I'm going to work on an undercover rescue mission until I finally manifest all my power to get rid of it finally once and for all and set up my physical kingdom. Any other thoughts about the relationship of Jesus to the kingdom of God? I mean, the kingdom of God is all about Jesus, right? Lynn. Yeah, I was thinking that you are a sinful world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, going back to the original definition of a king and kingdom and all that kind of stuff, it's where someone, we'll just stick with someone instead of something, ex- um, exercises their authority and power, right? So God is king of kings and lord of lords, king of the universe, king of the world, king of what he exerts that, but Satan has some authority and power that have been given to him, so he still exerts some too, but only temporarily. Okay, so God still has a kingdom on this world, but it's not total yet, only because he allows the other to exist until he can redeem everyone who will be redeemed. Okay, well, let me jump into the ones I have here. Again, we could talk about this one all night long, but I want to get to the practical two questions. How does this affect our prayer? How does this affect our living? Okay, so under how are these truths about the kingdom of God evident in Jesus' teaching and actions, and who he is, we could add to that. Letter A, John came proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom in Jesus. Okay? A couple places the Gospels talk about that, but Matthew 3, 2, John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then later, when Jesus showed up, he says, there it is. Here, here we go. We're ready to go. All right? Letter B is very similar. Jesus came proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And at that point, the gospel was that God is establishing his kingdom. Now we know more fullness of the gospel because it includes the cross. That's how God did it. But back then, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. All right? Letter C. Most of Jesus' teaching had to do with God's kingdom. I mean, Jesus came to die on the cross so God's kingdom could be established. Jesus also came to reveal God, which was a part of revealing who the king was. But Jesus stated very plainly that he came specifically to proclaim the kingdom of God and to bring it about. In Luke 4.43 is one place where he mentioned that. It says, Jesus is talking, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Because the disciples are saying, hey, bunch of people you healed yesterday, they want you to come back. He says, no, i got to go someplace new. Got some other places i got to go. Got to spread this word. So he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to, of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to proclaim the kingdom, but also to actually establish it. All right? It's interesting. I didn't even know this until I was doing my studying this week. The Greek word for kingdom, Greek is what the New Testament was written in, is used about 80 unique times in the Gospels. The reason I say unique is that the Greek word for kingdom is used a whole lot more times than that. But when I say unique times, in words, um, there's sometimes that Matthew tells the same story as Mark or Luke or John, and the word kingdom might have been used, but those aren't unique because it was the same story. But there are 80 unique times that kingdom was mentioned, usually by Jesus, but it could be by John or one of the others, but most of the time by Jesus in the Gospels. Can you think of some examples where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God? The Beatitudes. Okay, it's meant the kingdom of God is mentioned in the Beatitudes. Where else is the kingdom of God mentioned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he was talking about John. He said, from the kingdom, time of John, the kingdom of God suffered violence, and the violent take it by force, which is an interesting passage because there's a lot of different ways you could possibly take that. Yeah, uh, Chris. Yes, one of the statements that Jesus made that uh, is widely discussed is when Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It can also be translated among you, and which does it mean? All that kind of stuff. It actually means both. But anyway, yeah, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. Okay, any other thoughts about where Jesus talked about the kingdom? 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto the seven virgins. I was wondering when somebody's going to mention that, not specifically that one. Almost every parable, not every parable, but almost every parable has to do with the kingdom of God. So many of them start with Jesus says, now the kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who finds a treasure. It's like a man who's searching for pearls. It's like leaven in a lump of dough. It's like a mustard seed that grows into a great tree. The kingdom of God, all the, the main focus of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. Okay? All right. Let's go on. Letter D. Jesus taught that God's kingdom is both present and also future. It's present and also future. Theologians put it this way. Theologians often use the phrase now but not yet to talk about the kingdom of God. What do you think that means when they say the kingdom of God is now but not yet? It's present but it's future. The kingdom of God is now but not yet. What do you think theologians, Bible scholars, anybody, if they use that phrase, what do they mean? Lori? We're living in the kingdom of God now because God manifesting his kingdom in a spiritual way, like we talked about earlier, but it's not yet been fully fulfilled, fully established, physically established. Yeah, that's exactly what they're talking about. Um, we see this in a lot of the parables, but one in particular, I've got you, this on your note sheet. You can read it later, but Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 20, and then 36 to 43. One of Jesus' parables, he gave a parable, then it talks about something else, and the disciples say, would you explain that to us? So later on he explains it. The parable of the wheat and the tares. He said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer that went out and planted good seed. And overnight when he's asleep, the enemy comes and plants weeds, thistle, thorns, whatever, Okay. And when the stuff comes up, it looks good because the sprouts look the same. But as the plants mature, you've got the good wheat, but you've got these weeds. And the farmer's hands come and say, oh, man, what happened? He said, well, an enemy came in the middle of the night and planted that. And they say, well, you want us to pull out all the weeds? He says, no, if you pull out the weeds, it's going to ruin the wheat too. Just let it grow together until we harvest, and then we'll separate it. And when he explained to the um, disciples what that meant, he says, it's like the kingdom of God. Okay, The kingdom of God is present in the people that are submissive to it, but there's a whole lot of people that aren't, but it's going to be separated at the end when the kingdom of God is fully established. Yeah, Lynn. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's right, because that's what God's kingdom is. You know, all the references to the kingdom of God are good, righteous, holy, beautiful. Okay, let me read a couple of uh, a quote here. This is from the New Daily Study Bible. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I, on your note sheet before I read that. God's kingdom now is wherever God's people allow him to rule in their lives. So if you're allowing God to rule in your life, his kingdom is with you. It's in you. It's around you. If we allow God to rule in our church, then his kingdom is established in our church to the degree that we allow him to rule there. So the New Daily, Daily Study Bible says this. The kingdom of God is a society upon earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Here we have the explanation of how the kingdom can be past, present, and future all at the one time. Anyone who at any time in history perfectly did God's will was within the kingdom. Anyone who perfectly does God's will is within the kingdom now. But since the world is very far from being a place where God's will is perfectly and universally done, the consummation of the kingdom is still in the future and is still something for which we must pray. Now, the author of this, his name is William Barclay. He says when the kingdom did the will, God's will perfectly, he's not trying to say that there have been people that have been perfect. He's just saying to the degree that someone perfectly carried out God's will, that, that's the degree that God's kingdom was perfectly established in their life. Okay? 
So as we mentioned um, before in a previous point, God's kingdom will be fully established at the second coming of Jesus. Letter E. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, the famous passage in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, is where Paul says, Therefore God, has high, because he lowered himself, you know, and, and put aside some of the attributes of his deity so he could be a man and, and die, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and on under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. This may seem unrelated, but I'll relate it. Trivia question. Where in the Bible does it talk about how Jesus has a tattoo? I just, I'm, just, I'm just saying that to wake everybody up. Nina, do you know? It doesn't say tattoo. I just had to wake you up. Revelation 19.16. It's on your note sheet here. On his, talking about Jesus coming back in glory. This is when he's going to establish his king. On his robe and on his thigh... He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's a lot of symbolism in that passage, but to get people's attention, I've heard preachers say, yeah, Jesus got a tattoo on his thighs. <laughs> anyway, but the point is that Jesus is going to come back, and he will establish God's kingdom fully, physically, in every way, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, the practical application part, we moved along good, but we only got 10 minutes left, so... How should these truths, all these things we talk, how should that impact the way I pray and what I pray for? Jesus said we should pray, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Is Jesus basically saying, pray, God, hurry up? Is that what he's saying? It's like it's not here yet, God, but we're ready. Hurry up. So if that's not what he's saying, how should that phrase, how should that impact the way we pray and what we should pray for? Any thoughts? Lynn? Okay, to, get, to, to stir our faith, to strengthen our faith, to encourage us by praying it, that he is coming, you know, and especially as we're going through difficult times, it should encourage us, all right? Any other thoughts about how this should affect our prayers? Carlton, I keep wanting to call you Bruce, that's your last name, Carlton. It maintains our hope. Maintains our hope, all right? Any other thoughts about how praying that phrase should impact our prayers? Tim, okay? Yeah. Yeah, it joins the things we've already talked about. When we start with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. It's another aspect to help us realize we're talking to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to treat him with respect and honor and holiness. I, got with some, I know we've got some other hands. Let me give you what I've got here. Uh, I'd love to discuss a whole lot more. We've got one more question to deal with, okay? So how should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? These are the things I came for. Uh, Letter A, pray for God's kingdom to be established in your life. I mean, it should stir our hope. It should stir our faith. It should give us encouragement. We're going through difficult times. God's kingdom is going to come. But as I start out with the illustration, if we're praying this, we should allow God, and not just allow him, but actively work with God. That gets to how we live. But pray that God's kingdom be established in my life. Okay? How does God's kingdom get established in my life and in your life? That sounds real spiritual, but what does that mean practically, Lori? That's right. And we're going to get into that when we get to the, how does that affect my life. It's, you know, where's God's kingdom? It's when his will is done, and, it's, and we're going to talk about that more next week because it's a more personal thing. But um, it's aligning our lives with God's word. 
Okay, so we pray for God's kingdom to be established in my life, in your life. It's like, Lord, I want your kingdom in this world, but your kingdom's got to be in my life. Where in my life are evidences that your kingdom, where you're not king? Where are you not king in my life? Where are you not fully king in my life? Where am I not surrendering to your authority, your power, your, you know, your um, um, influence? Yeah, Lynn. Yeah, that's another great picture that fits with this, that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, his presence. You know, but how often are we not allowing him to rule on the throne? You know, you've probably heard that illustration before. Who's on the throne of your life? If he's the king, is he on the throne of your life? If he is, it'll influence every area of your life. And again, we'll get to that when we get to how does it influence our lives. Okay. Um, B, pray for God's kingdom to be established in the lives of others. So we pray that God's kingdom be established in our lives. That should uh, cause some inward searching. But when you're talking about other people, it's like that could raise the question, well, how can our prayers make a difference when they, when the other people, you know, praying for other people and that God's kingdom be established, how can that make a difference? Because they make their own decisions. And that just gets to the nature of prayer. Why do our prayers make a difference anywhere? Because God determined that they would. God can do whatever he wants, but he says, I'll respond to your prayers. So when we pray for our kids, when we pray for our grandkids, when we pray for our parents, when we pray for our family members, we pray for our friends, our coworkers, God, may your kingdom be established in their lives. Yes, they'll make the decisions. But it does influence the way God works in their lives in response to our prayers. Okay? Let us see. Pray for God's kingdom to be established in the church. Not just our church. We need to pray to establish in our church, but in the church. Totally different subject, but it's related. One of the strongest reasons people become believers is because of the example of other Christians. One of the strongest reasons people don't want to become a Christian is because of the examples of people who claim to be Christians. One of the reasons people want to love, love to go to certain churches is because they live out the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons people have left church and don't ever want to go back is because they've not lived out the kingdom of God. So we definitely pray for our own church. God, may your kingdom be established and man, may your rule and reign affect everything we do. But God, may that be true of the church worldwide. Okay? And then D, pray for God's kingdom to be established in the world. We know it will be at the end permanently, but we should still pray today. God, may you rule and reign in more places and more fully in the world today. It's one of the reasons we pray for government, you know. We pray for countries where Christians are being persecuted, you know. We pray that God will give them strength. We pray for deliverance, you know, change the, the government, you know, change, change that nation where they're not persecuted, you know. Uh, God's going to do what he's going to do. People are still going to respond, but our prayers make a difference, you know, all these things that we look forward to in the kingdom of God, righteousness and holiness and love, joy and peace. Pray that to the, it, you know, we know the scripture says things are going to get worse before they get better, but they can get better before they get worse before they get better. You know what I'm saying? So pray, pray, pray for revival. Pray that God move powerfully in the world, that his kingdom is established even more and more, even before that final physical revelation. I'm just going to have to give you number four because it's about time to finish up. We could have a great discussion on how these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus, but a couple of these have been mentioned anyway. Letter A, seek first the kingdom of God. If we're praying, God, may your kingdom come. We're looking forward to that day, but Lord, it should be coming right now in my life, then that means I need to make it a priority. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This goes back to what Lori had said when I said, why do we pray about that? It's, you know, how do we have the kingdom of God? It's we align ourselves with God's word, and that leads us to letter B, live according to kingdom principles. 
Align yourself with God's word. What God's word says is true about God's kingdom. Make sure to the best of your ability with God's help. That's what manifests in your life. We have so much teaching in scripture. All of the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody, uh, many Bible scholars have said the Sermon on the Mount is basically God's list of how the kingdom operates or how it should operate. But not just the Sermon on the Mount. All the parables he talked about. All the other teachings in God's word. And it affects every area of our lives, our lifestyle, our morals, our relationships, our words, our actions. What does God say about that? If we yield to his lordship, his kingship, and do what he says, his kingdom is reigning. Okay? Letter C. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Sharing the gospel helps establish God's kingdom, at least in another person's life. In another person's life, they've got to respond, but they respond positively. It establishes God's kingdom in their life. We go back to what Jesus said he came to do. He's called us to do the same thing. Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Share the gospel. Letter D. Help others live by kingdom principles. If the kingdom is established where people are living by kingdom principles, we need to do it ourselves. Help other people. How do we help other people? Well, as parents, we try to train our children in the ways of the Lord. As Christians, we get involved in ministry. As friends and family members in the body of Christ, we encourage and strengthen and sometimes, you know, be used by God to kind of poke at somebody and say, hey, this isn't exactly right, but I love you enough, I'm going to talk to you about it, you know? It's discipleship, it's encouragement in the body of Christ. And the last one, letter E, do what you can to promote kingdom values in the world. What does that mean? Obviously, the gospel is the main thing. People need to have their lives changed by Jesus Christ. But apart from that, any influence we can have in the world to see goodness, righteousness, justice take place, we need to do it. That also falls into praying for our government leaders. Voting according to Christian principles falls here. Now, some people have taken it too far. There have been people who, as Christians and Christian leaders and stuff, who have put all their eggs in the basket of, we're going to influence government, and they almost forget the spiritual side of it. It's like, no, 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 no. The important thing is the spiritual. But use whatever influence you actually have to make a difference. Make a difference in your community. Make a difference in your neighborhood. Okay? All right. So, we long and we pray for God's kingdom to come in its entirety, but also as much as possible right now. That to happen, we need to live it ourselves and encourage and help other people to do so. All right? So let's pray and let's live. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to study your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have a phenomenal kingdom that we already have the privilege of being a part of, in spiritually speaking anyway, Lord God, and it has an impact on our lives. But we thank you that that kingdom is going to come one day. And, Lord, we do cry out like John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But yet inside we also say, but Jesus, why don't you wait a little bit longer because there's some people I love who don't know you yet. And that's exactly why you are waiting. We pray for those of our family members and friends that we love, care about, that don't know you. Lord, bring them to yourself and use us in that process. We pray that you would help us to live the principles of your kingdom in our life, that you would help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage and strengthen one another in that, Lord, as we grow together in discipleship. And we pray that our witness to the world, Lord God, would be the glorious gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ and how he can change our lives in this great kingdom that he's established that will one day be manifest in this world. And, Lord, may our witness as individuals and as a church draw people and point people to you. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name.
Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 